Genesis 39 and verse 1. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From that time, he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned. The Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So, he left in Joseph's care everything he had. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now, Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, My master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then? Could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him the story. That Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison. 
and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. And we thank God for this, his word to us uh, again uh, th this evening. Okay, let's pray together just briefly before we turn to the word. Lord, in these moments now, um, as we deal with some nitty gritty stuff of life, uh, we pray for insight and um, honesty and faith so that we might respond to you, the giver of life and the author of all truth. We pray for help in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you've got um, Genesis 39, uh, we're going to look at that, the whole chapter. Um, as um, one member was mentioning to me uh, that uh, he remembers the last time we preached, and this was about 15 years ago or so, or certainly a long time ago, we preached three, pass three sermons on this one chapter, so tonight we're trying to do it in one, so it's going to be a whistle-stop tour um, through it all. But may God help us to understand what he's trying to say to us, what he's saying to us through his word, his precious word. I think it's easy to spot the wicked woman of Genesis 39. Who is it? Mrs. Potiphar. She hasn't got a name, but we'll call her Mrs. Potiphar. It's easy to spot the weak man in Genesis 39, Mr. Potiphar. But who's the, the hero of the story? Who's the hero of the story? At first glance, we might be tempted to say, Joseph's the hero of the story. But actually, of course, it's the, it's the Lord. We're going to see that as we work through the, um, the text. Because this is what we read, not just once or twice, not even three times, but four times it's in this line comes through or something similar in, in verse 2, in verse 3, in verse 21, and in verse 23. Now, if you know the numbers there, you'll know that they're like brackets, twice, verse 2 and 3 at the beginning, and verses 21 and 23 at the end, like two brackets or two bookends at the beginning of the chapter, at the end of the chapter. And do you know what Moses is trying to say to us? The Lord is with Joseph. And the Lord is in control. That's what he's saying uh, to anyone who wants to listen. Very clearly, that's the message. The Lord is the hero. The Lord is with Joseph. No matter what's going to happen in this chapter, the temptation... Even in the midst of the temptation, in the midst of the deception, in the mistreatment, in the jail, in Potiphar's house, the Lord is with Joseph. The Lord is in control. But also notice the, the cause and effect. If you look at that carefully, you'll see in verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph and he prospered. Verse 3, the Lord was with him and the Lord gave him success in everything he did. Then go to the end, verse 21. The Lord was with him, and kindness and favor flowed. And verse 23, the Lord was with Joseph, and success came to him. Now, if you're a Christian this evening, and I hope you are, 
you've got to realize that these two truths can be yours, are yours, in fact. He is with you, in and around you. And secondly, any success that you might have in your faith, in your ministry, in your service, in your life, is from him. Not from you. You're not the hero. I'm not the hero. But we have one who is. He's with you. And any success you might have will come from him. Because the story is always totally about him. Do you know what Jesus said? I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. And then the next bit's very important. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But with me, you can do everything I want you to do. He's with us. And he grants success. Isn't that beautiful? It's beautiful grace in operation. Verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph and he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. He's away from his family and his, his friends and his fellowship. Imagine that you're lifted right now. You're lifted from here and from all of this and everything you have and you're deposited into a pagan culture. No support, no church, no fellowship. Somebody else's property in a completely foreign culture. And yet, we have the fact that he's with Joseph. This is not working here at the front. Could you put on the next one, please, the next uh, line? Um, we've got a picture here, the presence and the protection of God. The presence and the protection of God. The blessing of God in and through all the circumstances of life. Christian, you can know this. You need to know this. If you don't know it, you will live impoverished lives. God often does not change our circumstances, but he changes our attitudes in the circumstances. God is in the business of creating a holy, selfless, gracious, and experienced human savior for his people. That's why he sent Joseph into Egypt, into enemy territory, as it were, and to do all of this, to create this holy, selfless, gracious, experienced human Savior, the Lord was with him in everything. Are you really keen to do something great for the Lord in your life? This is a, a question to us all, but I, I wonder if those of you who are younger, uh, those who come into membership even uh, this evening, are you really keen about doing great things for God? Well, are you ready? Are you ready? See, God decides when you're ready. And Joseph wasn't ready at 17. But 20 years later, he was ready. 
Are you ready for the great things that God has for you to do? See, God will decide when you're ready. He will work with you. He will work in you. He will work for you until you're ready. Do you know what he's doing right now, even tonight? He's making you ready. And for that to happen, we need humility. We need patience. We need a listening heart. We need to, be, we need to accept the Word of God as it's written for us and presented to us. We need godliness. Godliness. So I ask you the question, are you aware of the presence of God in your life right now? I'm not talking right now in this moment, in your life in these days. Are you aware of the presence of God in your life? God is there. And that fact that God is with us will keep us from yielding to temptation. We've got to ask the question, how could Joseph succeed in resisting temptation in chapter 39 when Judah failed so miserably to resist temptation in chapter 38, which we looked at last week? The answer is the, the presence and protection of the Lord. What we have in verses 2 and 3, the Lord was with Joseph when his master saw that the Lord was with him. What we see is that Joseph was an example of reliability, hard work, trustworthiness. He was a person of character, honor, and loyalty in his workplace, and his life shone through that. Now, he had the worst possible of jobs, and yet there wasn't a complaint. He works smart. He, he works well. He works hard. You know, he turns up on time. He does what's expected of him, and he lets his life shine. And he knows in increasing ways that God is in control. He knows in increasing ways that God was with him. And Potiphar could see the difference. He couldn't miss it. In fact, we read there, he saw it. He wasn't told it. He saw it himself. When his, verse 3, when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. It's easy to earn a reputation. It's a, a little harder to keep that up, but Joseph did. And in the midst of the, the drudgery of life and work, the application for you and me is this. Let people see that the Lord is with us. Let the people see that the Lord is with us. Because God has given you a platform uh, at work or uh, in the school that you're in or the college that you're in or in your home or in your community or in, in any of the hobbies or the teams that you're involved in. He's given you a platform to show the grace and glory of Jesus and he wants you to use it and not to waste it. But what we see here is a remarkable turnaround, verse 4. Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and they entrusted to his care everything he owned. 
Now, there's no evidence that he, he preached a single sermon to Potiphar. Although I have a kind of feeling that maybe, you know, he sat down in the cool of the day and, and chatted to Potiphar about what God meant to him, the living God, what he meant to him. We don't know. We don't know if there was any sermons preached, but he lived out a lot of theology. And we see here in his life integrity, character, loyalty, hard work, an example of being a blessing, an example of reliability, an example of being a blessing. He was a godly young man. But of course, you knew things were going too well, because that leads us to the, the, the second section in the chapter. This is the part of Genesis 39 that's best known for, the temptation of Mrs. Potiphar. We see that at the um, end of verse 6. Now, Joseph was well-built and handsome, and after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. You can see he was handsome and well-built. He was fit. Is that the term you use nowadays? Six-pack? Guns and pecs? Do you want to see an example of... Uh... <laughs> he had a gym-crafted body without going to the gym. Aren't he sort of hit people like that? He's the whole package. Actually, the language there, well-built and handsome, suggests he was spectacular to look at. On a scale of 1 to 10, he was 11. But of course, do you remember who his mother was? Rachel. Do you remember how she was described? Lovely in form and beautiful. That's why Harry is so handsome, isn't it, you know? I really hadn't intended to say that, so. But Joseph was like his mom. And of course, being good looking and being a slave and being successful was going to be a source of great trouble. Because success, whether it be physically or intellectually or in sport or in business, makes us vulnerable. To attack. And parents, I say to you, when you are encouraging your children, remember that. They've got enough trouble in their lives without adding extra pressure. Success makes us vulnerable to attack. It doesn't mean, of course, we don't seek to do the best we can, but we've got to be very careful that we are equipped to deal with any success that God may bring to us. Verse 7, come to bed with me, she says. Lust-filled men and women are as old as the fall. And of course, lust is increasingly not just a male issue, it's a female issue as well. And Mrs. Potiphar was physically drawn to Joseph. Her invitation was abrupt. It was aggressive. All modesty melted away. Her desires controlled her. And this was powerful bait to a young 
a young man of 17 or 18. Imagination led to desire, and desire led to action as far as Mrs. Potiphar was concerned. And if Joseph had acted in the same way back again, it would have been an absolute disaster. Now, we're going to notice Joseph's reaction in a few moments' time, but remember where we began the service in James chapter 1, the process of temptation. There is a process, you see. If you remember it, it begins with what? Desire. His own evil desire, verse 14. And then it um, goes into deception. The desire deceives us and says, oh, we want this thing that has come our way. And that leads to disobedience. After desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, disobedience. And the result's in death, verse 15. And sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. That's the process. It begins with desire. We deceive ourselves. We disobey. And it leads to death. Maybe not physical death initially, but eventually certainly spiritual death. It's a deadly process. And what we see here is that this was resent, or, um, relentless temptation, verse 10. And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even to be with her. This was sustained, incessant, repetitive temptation. You see, Satan's approach to us, by the way, is if at first you feel... Try, try again. And Mrs. Potiphar poured her charm and seduction on to Joseph on a daily basis. And of course, the perfect storm of verse 11 occurred. One day, he went into the house to tend his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. A normal day, normal duties. He was on his own. Perfect timing. Again, folks, again, young and old alike, don't be naive about Satan's ability to pull your strings or to push your buttons and create the perfect storm of a situation that could lead to the ruination of your life or your marriage, of your testimony. See, Satan's purpose is very clear. Ruin Joseph. Ruin God's plan of rescue. Ruin the covenantal design that God had for his people. And he would do all of this ruination through ruining Joseph. And history is full of examples of bright Christians who have shipwrecked their faith and destroyed their witness, and damaged the gospel work, and caused havoc in their families, because they fell to Satan's schemes when they should have known better, and had actually been told all that was going to happen, but thought they knew better. See, temptation is tailor-made for us. It's expertly crafted for us. So where we're weak, that's where he will attack. And very often it is, and increasingly so it is, in the areas of sex, power, money. 
and it begins with desire. And we deceive ourselves. And then we disobey. And then we die. But what's our friend going to do about it? Well, there's the third section covers the same verses, prevention. Mrs. Potiphar presented a very powerful and uh, evil seduction. And Joseph responded with a powerful and holy response, one of godliness. There's a conference just uh, last week, and Sinclair B. Ferguson was asked about uh, the needs for pastoral ministry. Pauline was telling me about this. Jeff was at it, so I meant to ask him, but I, I didn't get around to doing it. And he says, the one thing that's missing when we talk about ministers preparing for ministry in this modern age is godliness. Oh, we hear a lot about preaching ability. We hear a lot about theological understanding. We hear a lot about a love for the church. But what about godliness? That's what he's asking. And your greatest need is my godliness. Would you believe it? and Jeff's, and John's, and the rest of the staff. And by the way, my greatest need is your godliness. Joseph responded with a godly response. There was a clear attack. There was a clear defense. And, and you can see here, there's no debate here in, in, you know, with the lady, no discussion, no weighing up the pros and the cons, just a sordid invitation to adultery met with a clear refusal. No. No. Now, surely, we're not told this, but surely he made up his mind long before the temptation landed on him. Surely he'd made a clear decision that he was going to say no to the sinful seduction. Again, the application is very clear. We make the decisions now that we will reap a harvest, either good or bad, later on. It could be a year's time or 10 years' time or 20 years' time, but the decisions are made now. We should not wait until the heat of the battle to say no. Uh, we can't wait, we can't afford to say, you know what, I'm going to wait until I think I'm tempted, tempted, and then I'll think about it, and then I'll say no, because invariably we will not say no. Invariably we will fail. Notice verse 8, but he refused. Isn't that a great line? But he refused. And so tonight, again, uh, for, for those of us who are young and uh, those of us who are older, we should say, I will not have sex before or outside of marriage. Will you make that decision? I will not allow the world to tell me about how I carry on my sexual relationships. Because the world is perverted and sordid. And there's not in line with Scripture. But he refused. I will not lie to get myself out of trouble. I will not slander or criticize Christians or, the, or Christ's church. And so it goes on. I, you make the decision now. And, and then you live by it as the days go on. So make that decision. And then remember who you are, verse 9. Remember who you are. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has held nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? 
He's loyal to his boss, verse 8 and 9. We haven't really time to look at that. But he's loyal, more importantly, to his God. How could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? You know, we have reinvented the sin of adultery. We have reinvented the sin of sexual immorality. And we call it the affair or fling or a one-night stand. Do you know what God calls it? Sin. And renaming sin doesn't change its character any more than calling rat poison food. It doesn't matter if she was lonely or drop-dead gorgeous or neglected by her husband. All three might have been true. Joseph says, I, I just don't do things like that. I just don't do things like that. No discussion. End of story. Know who you are. Others might do it. Listen, the world is doing it. But how can I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? How can I, saved from the kingdom of Satan into the kingdom of Jesus, do such a thing? How can I, saved by grace, adopted into his family, do such a thing? How can I have received grace on a daily basis from a good and faithful Savior and Lord do such a thing? How can I, born again in Christ, filled with his Holy Spirit, do such a thing? You folks know who you are. Do you know who you are? Children of a king. Children of the king. And you don't play in the sewer when you're a child of the king. And you don't dress in dirty clothes. And you don't eat bad food. And you don't offend your father. You remember who you are. And you live accordingly. And then we have in verse 10 this uh, avoidance action. And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even to be with her. He did everything to stay clear and to steer clear of her. And the application again is so simple, isn't it? So obvious. There are certain people and certain places and certain situations that we steer clear of. Uh, you know, I was at the General Assembly during the week. On, on Saturday, I was coming home from the, the General Assembly about kind of tea time. And as I was waiting for the, the train, you know, I got my pass now, so I get free travel on the train. As I was waiting for the train to pull in, there must have been about three or 400 young people got off the train heading to some concert at, um, was it Bell Sonic or something like that? I never saw anything like it in all my life. I mean, the girls, and there must have been about 90% of them are girls, were half naked. And the few fellows that were there seemed to be, at that stage, drunk. And I thought to myself, I hope and pray there are no Christians going into that kind of situation because what hope would a young lad have 
or young girl have with all of that? You see, we're dumb <laughs> sometimes. We think we can be with certain people and go to certain places and enter into certain situations and as if they're all neutral. Satan is trying to destroy us. And therefore, we need to take avoidance action. There's no magic wand here. There's no spiritual mantra. No, there's a clear decision. And then discipline that backs that up. That's how we live the Christian life. That's what godliness comes from. Decision, discipline, decision, discipline, decision, discipline. Oh, I wish there was another answer, an easier answer, but there's not. And of course, what did he do? He ran away. Because there's times when we cannot avoid temptation. All we can do is just run. The temptation will pursue us. It, it will come looking for us. What do we do? We run. We run. We flee. It can take 30 years to build a witness and a reputation and five minutes to destroy it. Run. And I don't know what's going on in your lives now, now but maybe there is something going on and... You know it's not right, but it is, there's a desire. And you're beginning to go through that deceiving process. And you're thinking about just being disobedient. And you're going to face death. Spiritually speaking, at least. David didn't run from Bathsheba. Joseph did run from Mrs. Potiphar. So run to Jesus and run away from the filth of sin. And then we have um, the deception. Hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. Oh, she shouted and yelled and screamed. And verse 17, isn't it interesting who she seems to blame there? Um, that Hebrew slave you brought came to me to make sport of me. She blames Potiphar. And then notice the racial slur, that Hebrew slave. Basically, she accuses Joseph of, of rape. She twists the story in her favor. The devil, of course, is the father of lies, Jesus tells us, and his people love to lie, and she's become an expert in lying. And his left cloak, or cloak left, <laughs> was proof that Joseph had refused her approach, but she actually twisted the same evidence to prove, to prove that he actually was a rapist. She lied to protect herself. She lied to soothe her bruised ego. She, she lied and she was believed. How many lies are believed? Isn't that the sad reality? He was leader of the church, I suppose, one of the leaders of the church. I, I, it's something that really frustrates me. The rumors and the lies that are believed. But you know, one day, truth will be revealed. In this case, the lie was believed. Verse 19. When his master heard the story his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me, he burned with anger. Literally, his nostrils burned. He was so mad. He was torched with anger. It's only this week that I, as I was listening to a few others, you know, um, preaching this there. The question was, at whom was Potiphar's anger really directed? It's an interesting thought, isn't it? 
Because initially I thought he was angry with Joseph. But maybe he wasn't angry at Joseph. He was angry at his wife. Because Potiphar could have executed Joseph on the spot, but he imprisoned him. I mean, why did he imprison him if he was guilty of attempting to rape his wife? It's an interesting thought. So while he could have executed Joseph, he had him imprisoned. Better than the worst thing he could have done, which was have him executed, but not the best thing he could have done, which was release him. That's why at the beginning I said he's the uh, coward in the story in many ways. If he knew that Joseph wasn't guilty, maybe he knew what his wife was like. But sadly, in our broken world, deception often wins. And it seems to win in this situation as Joseph is in prison. But notice, lastly, the Lord was with him. Verse 20, Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The, the warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. The presence of God does not mean we won't face unjust treatment. We can see that in the life of Job and John the Baptist, the apostles even, and especially the Lord Jesus himself. It's costly to live for the glory of God, isn't it? Oh, it's costly to be godly. It's not an easy path. It's not a cheap and easy way. The righteous way, the way of godliness, has a price. But everyone had forsaken Joseph. Think about that. His brothers, Potiphar, basically the whole world system. But look who is with him the whole way. The Lord was with him. John Knox, the founder of Presbyterianism, said this. God plus one still makes a majority. God plus one still makes a majority. If God is for you, it doesn't matter who's against you. And Joseph received kindness and favor because the Lord was with him. And soon his qualities were recognized again. And soon success, once again, was his experience. Why? The Lord was with Joseph. Is he with you? I'm not asking, are you religious or good living? Is he with you in salvation? Do you know him personally? Have you got that relationship with him that we call being saved or born again or converted or redeemed or reconciled, justified? There's a whole pile of words. Do you know him? Because if not, you're on your own. You have no protection except your will, which will break under the power of temptation. It will break you. 
and you will pay the consequences. If you're not his, Satan will get you. Satan has you. We all need him. And he offers himself to us. Emmanuel is God with us. Who is Emmanuel? Oh, yes, the glorious Lord Jesus. He came to us. He came for us. He came as grace and truth to pardon our sin, to clothe us in righteousness, to take us home one day. Jesus, Yahweh, saves. Emmanuel, God with us. When? In temptation. He's with us. Even there, especially there, he's with us. In resisting temptation, he's the one who empowers us. In the mistreatment, when we do the right thing and yet the bad thing happens, he's with us. And even when we fail, he's with us. Even when we fail. And maybe tonight you feel a right failure. I do. What did Jesus say to the woman caught in adultery? Then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. Here's the gospel invitation to you. No matter what you've done, no matter what has happened, no matter what you've become, You can be forgiven. You can live in and for Jesus. So who's the hero of Genesis 39? Who's the hero of Genesis? Who's the hero of the whole Bible? Who's the hero of time and space? It's Jesus, you see, his constant presence, even in temptation, even in mistreatment, even in failure, his constant power, Jesus, he alone will hold you fast. He'll hold me fast. And that brings comfort and hope as we live in what is a, a broken, fallen world full of Mrs. Potiphar's and Mr. Potiphar's. May God bless you as you fight the good fight. And when you are successful, it's because the Lord was with you. And when you fail, he will forgive you. What a gospel and what a savior. Let's pray. Lord, we need you to hold us fast. You've told us again and again, you're with us. We need you to hold us and enable us. Your constant presence, your beautiful power. Lord Jesus, have your way in our lives. May we be free in you and enjoy you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.